welcome to this bonus episode of Tim Talk, the podcast usually about the DC animated universe, co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm still Cameron Dexter. <laughs> Some consistency here. One uh, of us is consistent. What me never. Uh, but there was a movie coming out this year that you and I are both very, very excited about. And if you're listening to this, you already know what it is. The it's favorite, a, starring yes, Emma Stone. Yes, absolutely. I still haven't seen that. Neither actually. have I. I've heard it's great. I know. I really need to watch it because it's like the kind of the one of the big big contenders right now for all the top awards mm-hmm. and as a friends really liked it um but other than that movie what we're here to talk about of course is mary poppins returns yes um because i am a huge 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 fan of the original it's and i have seen it you've seen <laughs> how many how many times have you seen the original I honestly don't think I've seen it once in its entirety. Seriously? I've, I've seen segment. I, we had this conversation last night before the theater. Uh, I was never really shown like classic live action things growing up. I'm pretty sure just because your parents assumed you wouldn't want to watch it. Probably. Yeah. And I think they <laughs> just kind of didn't care. Because like, I, weirdly enough, I didn't grow up in a Disney household. Yeah, you, you just remind me of this, because sometimes I forget that your Disney love, though very, very strong, is relatively new. It has, it has only existed for about three years. Just baffling. Yes. To me, so damn baffling. So then why, because I know why I was excited about this. I love Mary Poppins. Why were you so excited about this? Because it's more Disney. Because you were, a, because you were excited. No, oh, sure. Uh-huh. And yes. No, I, I do appreciate, I do like to, <laughs> to kind of... Um, What's the uh, bandwagon onto other people's happiness? Mm-hmm. Um, always an excuse to get more Disney merch. Yeah, to go I to mean, the L Cap. Yeah, oh, the L Cap. It wasn't. It wasn't too bad this the, time. There were kids behind us. They were very well behaved. No, I was. I was, I was, I was surprised. I was. Yes, I was pleasantly surprised by that. There was only one screaming child who was removed from the theater, but I could still hear him. him well, he was. Her. He was loud. It was. Yeah, a, it was like piercing. That wasn't. That wasn't a cry that was a like blood curdling scream yeah i'm like what what happened to that kid mm-hmm. what's going on but there? i'm sure he's fine <laughs> i'm sure it wasn't a horribly traumatizing experience for mm-hmm. him um uh, but yeah you know more disney more musicals I, i'm always a fan of, of new new songs i can listen to yeah it mm, so we went and saw this last night yes i was positive on it but not loving it. I fucking loved it. I know you Holy did. shit. That movie <laughs> was fucking gorgeous. It It is absolutely gorgeous. And also, obvious, we're just going to talk about everything here. I, there's not yes. necessarily spoilers, but what could be considered like turns or reveals or whatever, we're going to talk about that stuff too. So Yeah. This will be a... Yeah, like I said, it's not... This will be a very lengthy conversation about the movie. Yes. That so, talks about the movie. If you haven't seen it yet... Probably better. I mean, go see. It's worth seeing. Yes. Go see, and then you'll understand more of what the hell we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Also, watch the original too. Yes, it may be a little long for younger. Yeah, I think it's like two hours and ten minutes or so. Yeah, I I was messaging my. It feels long. I I messaged my boss earlier today, telling her that because she wanted to bring her like three and one year old. Oh no! And I'm like, it's a little long, but you know, if they like, if they're well trained for the theater, Mm -hmm. uh, which. Not many kids are. If they've been conditioned at the end of a writing crop to sit silently through a film, they maybe yes. can make it. Well, one of my coworkers has like trained her son. To, he's four. Okay. And she is. Uh, his, their rule is they're not allowed to take him to a theater until he can sit through an entire film at home. Oh, talking, okay. Which I think is a is is great practice. That is actually mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, that's very clever. Yeah, and so like 
you know, about a few months ago, she said that he, he finally made it. He sat through the entirety of Star Wars. Oh, wow. One of them. Mm-hmm. Um, without needing to get up or, or having or you know, talking too much. Yeah. She's like, all right, well, now, now we, we feel like we, the training, we can take the training wheels off and <laughs> we'll see how he does when he has, you know, a 64-ounce soda next to him. How? So she hasn't tested it yet yet? I don't think tested so. Out, hasn't gone. Oh, mm-hmm. well, now I want to know. Now I'm invested in this coworker's yes, story. Yes, I, I will let you know. <laughs> Update. All of our listeners on this. Yes. Um, but no, the, the El Cap was, was good this time. It was, I, I think I'd actually rather see a movie with small children than I would with uh, obnoxious, overly invested Marvel fans. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you say that. Do you remember our Finding Dory experience? Finding Dory was pretty bad, that, actually. I mean, it was, it yeah. was a lot of our fault for picking. We went to like, what, like a, the, a matinee. It was, it was a 1 p.m. showing on like a Saturday. Yeah. That, mm. uh, we were the very last row. And the entire row in front of us was pretty much empty until the start of the trailers when what I can assume is a daycare came in and just dropped oh, their kids off and left. God, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was bad. Yeah. That was really bad. I What I really enjoyed about that was it wasn't the full. It was probably 70% of the row was was one group where there was one adult. Yeah. Uh I'm, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna estimate there are 12 kids for one adult. Sounds about right. Um, and so the kids, you know, some of them would get up, some of them would pass the message down the line <laughs> of like, I need popcorn, I need popcorn, I need popcorn, and then would make it to the adult, and then the popcorn would slowly pass across again. Uh, but what I really appreciated about it was at the at the other end where the where there was no adult was a, a family of a single child. Uh, and two parents mm-hmm. and the parents were very strict about no talking in the movie, but the oh, kid yeah. just idolized these kids and their freedom was trying her best to do anything. And I talk, eat, uh, get up. And the parents were just not having it, but they're so free and happy. I just want to be like them. Just take me off the leash. It was adorable. <laughs> Could you imagine if someone actually did bring their kid to the theater still attached to the leash? I would not be surprised for my parents did that to me. Actually, I think it was pretty good in movies. Did you have a leash? I don't think I did. I feel like even you are too old to have been around during leash time. Like, I feel like that was a good 10, maybe 12 years after me that you started actually seeing people with children on leashes. Okay. I feel like they've, they've had to have been around for a while. Yeah, but I don't think... Like, I feel like there was a period where it was really, really popular. I feel like especially at Disney, they had to have had them. Yeah. Because they were probably themed leashes. Oh, that's... Yeah. It's like, no, I want the mini leash. Yes. I want the Pluto <laughs> I want to be goofy today. You'll have nothing. Yes. And like it. Have you seen... Sorry to go on another tangent. Have you seen the, the strollers they're bringing to Disneyland and World for Star Wars? No. Oh, wait. Maybe I have. Is it the Millennium Falcon cockpit? Yes. It's the Millennium Falcon cockpit. Oh, my God. How much is that rental going to be? 75. I think it's 75 an hour. No, not yeah. an hour. That it's, can't. it's something absurd. Like, it, it holds three, I think, three or four kids. So, I estimate one adult. <laughs> one small adult. So, you. you Probably could, you my could, size. You could fit inside of this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they're so bulky. and they, they Yeah, of course. If it's four children and it's supposed to be the cockpit from a huge-ass ship. Yes. But it looks beautiful. I'm sure it does. I'm excited for, like... they Because they have to make, like, TIE Fighter versions. Oh, my God. Right? Or 
You know what I want is just the most unnecessary stroller where it's an ATAT, but instead of wheels, your kid still has to walk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just the dome. Written in like Flintstone. Oh my yeah. god, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. uh, even better if then they start making ATSC versions, just one kid just walking by themselves. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want this to be a thing. Get on it, Disney. So Get on it. Uh, but no, it was actually a pretty decent theater going experience. And like, so for the most part, I did have fun with this movie. There were definitely moments where, like my mouth is open. I was like, oh my God, this is gorgeous. This is super fun. I'm totally loving this. But there are also a number of times where I'm watching this going, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. And I think part of it for me is I love the first one so much. Like it is one of my favorite Disney films. And I'd say pretty high up there just in terms of like favorite films in general. Like I, it's one of those movies that I've, probably watch once or twice a year. I'll just be like, no, I'm going to sit down and watch Mary Poppins because it always makes me feel better. Okay. And also I think for me, the first one, the music is one of those musicals where kind of like The Greatest Showman, you could pick any number of songs, get stuck in your head, and they're like, they're like jostling for dominance. It has so many just classic, catchy, amazing songs. And I think for me overall, this movie was fun, but just a little bit flat. Okay. Yes. I, I, because you, you brought up that problem last night, and I want to make the argument of we don't have writers like that anymore. We I, don't have songwriters <clears throat> like that anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like the Sherman Brothers are still some of the best songwriters probably ever. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, who, who did this? Mark Zuckerberg. Yes, Mark, good old Marky e. Z. Um, uh, Mark Shaman. Mark Shaman. I think he did. He does a nice job. I think he captures some of the, the musicality, maybe, of the original, but I think he misses some of the... Um, oh, he did a Broadway show. Which one did uh, Catch Me If You Can, the musical. That was a musical? <laughs> Apparently. What? I'd watch that. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm scrolling through... It's kind do of... You, do you think there was a whole song built around Knock Knock, Go Fuck Yourself? I hope so. <laughs> uh, looking at his, oh wow, that's an old. How old is this guy? Because um, the first soundtrack he did was from the seventies. Really? Oh, now I'm gonna have to look him up too. Yeah. Oh, he's old. Okay. <laughs> Not really. I mean, okay. He was he was just very young when he made that movie. When he did that. How old is he? Uh, he's sixty years old. Oh yeah, that's not. Yeah. Let's um, see what other what other stuff. Okay, he worked on Smash, Hairspray. South Park, A Few Good Men. Yeah, the I, I was scrolling through Glee. his through his Spotify. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's he's a talented guy, and there are there are some good songs in there. Um, I think the um, the cover is not the book is probably the best one. I think uh, everything in the animated sequence is perfect. Like I I can't. Think well, of, it's because it's animated, Cameron. I let me let me talk about this for a second. I've missed 2D Disney animation for so long. I know, and and, I, and apparently um, Rob Marshall had to fight for that. He had to fight really hard for them to let it be 2D animated. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been real shit if they'd done 3D. I think so too. It just it wouldn't have had the right feel. Mm -hmm. Plus, I could I could have seen it would have been very hard because I don't think I've seen this before. Um, since it is porcelain, if they would have done stop motion. 
that could have been fascinating. That could have been cool. But I don't think I've ever seen stop motion integrated with live action. <clears throat> um, well, I mean, except for like Ray Harryhausen. Well, was that a word? I'm sorry. Do you not know who Ray Harryhausen is? Okay, sorry. You you said it like it was a single word. You said Ray Harryhausen, and I'm like, is this some kind of German film? No, that I'm, I'm not picking up. To I'm picking up on the Cockney accent of the film. Okay, okay. it's Ray Harryhausen. I I don't know who this is or what this is. This is a person or wait, but, a movie, or an wait, actor. Hang, wait, wait, legitimately, you don't know who Ray Harryhausen is? I, I don't think so. So like Jason and the Argonauts. Like, back from, and, um, uh, like, fuck, what was the other movies? Like, he was, like, the claymation monster master from, like, the 70s and the 80s. Okay. So, like, you've seen that footage of, um, like, the, the, the skeletons mm-hmm. fighting. I think that was, like, Sinbad in the 70s or something like that. The skeletons fighting. Uh, the Seven or, Voids of Sinbad, yes. Yeah, or um, what was, uh, or um, uh, Crash, Clash of the Titans? Wrath of the Titans? What was the original? The original was, I think, Clash of the Titans. Like, the original Kraken and stuff. That was all Harryhausen. Okay, why like, don't you say his first thing is King Kong. Oh, he did He did King Kong? Yes. I don't know oh, no, King- sorry, having seen King Kong. Okay, mind, sorry. yeah. Um, no, like, I mean, he's very, very famous. I mean, he's up there with, like, Stan Winston in terms of like special effects of being one of the big pioneers. Okay. But I mean, that was how effects were done back in the day. Like they did claymation stuff and they would just, you know, basically composite shots together. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess, but I see what you're saying of like a modern version that that's always now CGI. You don't often see. Yeah. um, Human characters interacting with claymation characters in the same sort of frame rate, that sort of thing. That could have been cool, but I, I feel like if they'd done CG, it just would have felt really out of place because you know, the, the animated sequences of both Mary Poppins films are kind of organic to that world in some sense. The first one, it's the chalk painting. This one, it's the porcelain bowl. So the art style should reflect whatever kind of object they're interacting with. So where the fuck would they have had right. like CGI animation? It, just, it would have thrown the whole thing off. And it, it, I think it would have felt cheap. It would have. Like, it absolutely would have felt it, cheap. It, like, like you said, it's so iconic to have that scene. Yeah, and it, and lo- it looks gorgeous yeah and it, it was so unique to that film where if you did cgi which every film does now yeah it wouldn't have been as special because the princess and the frog is the last 2d animated mm-hmm. 2009 yeah. it's gorgeous yeah yeah and, and this eight nine eight avatar came out eight nine <laughs> nine 2009 you sure pretty sure you sure i'm pretty sure next year is the 10th anniversary of avatar do you want to look it up though just I do. Like, just yeah just to make sure you're 100 certain I would hate, I would hate yeah, yeah. for a thing December 8th. Oh, uh, almost a year ago, or almost nine years ago to the day. Oh, what, for Avatar? Yeah. Oh. Oh, I guess we're talking about Princess and the Frog, aren't we? Yeah, we're actually <laughs> talking about that. But, I mean, nine years, and it's still entirely forgotten. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, oh, yeah, November 25th. Every movie comes out November 25th. Yeah. But, no, the animated sequence looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, also had a great voice actor cameo there in the form of Chris O'Dowd. Yes. You don't know who that is. I don't. Have you ever seen the IT crowd? That guy. No. Yeah. Fucking I. I watched an episode I mean, and it didn't it didn't stick with me. How what? I know. Shocking. Isn't it? It's one of my favorite TV shows. I I think I was so um insecure about my nerdiness when I watched that okay. show. Well then go revisit Cause, it. Because I watched that kind of at the same time I started watching Big Bang. Okay. Uh, and I'm like, I can only handle one of these. Well, you, you picked the wrong and one. I'm gonna go if you with stuck the with Big Bang. <laughs> they tried to make an American version of the IT crowd, and it was still Richard Ioadi, um, but it was then Joel McHale, and it just never landed. Thank well, God. 
I love Joe McHale, but I'm sorry. <laughs> even for that show, Joe McHale is no Chris O'Dowd. Joe McHale is like, I mean, yeah. In Community, he's fantastic. Yeah. I, 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 anything outside of that just really bothers me. I just think he hasn't had good stuff. Like, no one looks back on Ted I just think he's Ted kind of an thinks, asshole. Joe McHale really stole the movie with being that really generic asshole character. Yeah. I, I, after a while, he has to just become what he is, right? I, I think... Because I've never seen him in not an asshole role. What, I think he carries around such that kind of snarky that personality. Swagger, yeah. they, they just lean into it. I mean, that's the thing. Is people just cast however they think you should be based on what you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, Chris O'Dowd is amazing in that move or that show. He's also uh, the cop in Bridesmaids. I, I know who he is. Okay. Yeah, I, I know the face. Okay, no, good. Not Chris O'Donnell. Have you ever seen um, The Boat That Rocked, also called Pirate Radio in the U.S.? It's, it, it sounds familiar, but I have, I've, I've um, heard of Pirate yeah, Radio. Yeah, so it's like set in, it. what, the mid-1960s, and in, at the time, rock and roll was illegal in the UK. So based off a true story, there was a, just a boat anchored out in the water um, that had a broadcasting tower, and they would play rock and roll. So like they were Pirate Radio. And okay. He's in that. There's everyone else in that movie, too. It's um, uh, Richard Curtis. Mm-hmm. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, I know. Nick Frost is in it. Yeah, Aww. everyone's in that movie. It's real good. Um, but I love Chris O'Dowd. It also came out the same week as Princess and the Frog. Did it seriously? Well, yeah. Look at that. Look at that weird little world we live in. Uh, but when that, the, there's like an Irish dog who coaches the coach. Drives the coach? Yeah, and Mary uh, Poppins. But oh, sorry. Yes. Yes. Mary Poppins. <laughs> but when the dogs start talking, I'm like, I think that's Chris O'Dowd. But I don't mm-hmm. want to assume that just because he's using an Irish accent. Actually, it was. Yeah. Which is fantastic. But no, that whole that whole sequence is really beautiful. But it was also there that it started to introduce probably my least favorite part of this whole movie, though, which is the quote-unquote plot. Yeah, I was, so, I was kind of surprised they had a plot. Yeah, like what I think... I guess they needed one because the kids I, were already... Because you, you can't have the plot or you can't have the story just be like the kids are, do, the kids are too adult and the parents are too... Try, what you say? The parents weren't childish enough for it to just be like, you guys need to switch spots. Like, that would have been a fine story. Yeah. But they, they didn't write the parents that way. I, I think it speaks to, I think, a lack of cohesive theme. Mm-hmm. And especially in contrast to the original, which one of the reasons I think the original is so good is that the whole thing hangs around the dad. Like, he is... He's not really the protagonist of the story in the sense that he's not in it that much, mm-hmm. but he's the character that actually has to go through the arc. But also along with that is he's kind of the most active form of antagonism in that movie, but it's still his story, as it were. Like, he's the one that has to change over the course of it. And there's no villainous plot. Like, the the other bankers that he works with, like, kind of fire him and harass him a little bit, but they're all kind of organic characters. And, like, there's someone sitting behind a desk twiddling their mustache, which is much that I love Colin Firth is all he's doing in this movie and like trying really hard to make it meaningful and work. Yeah. I, I, I wish they would have brought the, the him spinning the clock, his pocket watch. Had that be a bigger theme? Oh, like, okay. It, it's kind of a subtle connection. That's not, you know, it's only pointed out when the kid points out, like he's spinning his pocket watch, just like that wolf did in the animated thing we just saw. <laughs> yeah. That, I think he's a villain. He's a bad guy. Like that's, I think part of my, as much as I love the songs and the visuals, the animated sequence, what I didn't like about it is that the whole point of that scene 
that sequence was basically just for the kids to figure out that Colin Firth is a bad guy. Yes. Which it didn't have any sort of emotional significance. Like you look back at the original and the whole animated middle section there is like a little bit superfluous, but the critical thing that comes out of it is the song Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, which is then brought in at the end when the dad starts saying it. Like that's what like he doesn't know what to say and he starts saying that word and that that's what finally like triggers him to figure it all out and like mm-hmm. brings out like the positive side of him. And so it actually has some emotional significance whereas all this stuff was just kind of like pointless. I mean it, it showed them that she was real magic. But so even then like well, no, so that was done in the uh, the diving sequence. Can you imagine that? No, that that introduced the magic. But yeah, but then, but like, it, then it was still like, a, I mean, the kids kind of believed it, but now they had proof. I guess because yeah. her her scarf was now implanted oh, in the, in the China. Yeah, I forgot that. But like again, mm-hmm. see, the problem is that every part of this movie, I'm just going to compare to the original, but at the same time. Returns favors that sort of comparison by being completely grounded in that original film and all the original characters. Yes. So, in the original, it's Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. In the original, she's back. Ha. <laughs> and she's in a leather Ooh, cat suit. Oh shit! We're, I'm totally gonna recut Mary Poppins to be like Voldemort. <laughs> she's back. <laughs> On that note, can we have it? Can we have this discussion really quick? The, the yes. one we had last night. Yeah. I've been putting a lot of thought into this. Okay. Yes. Go. Go ahead, Cameron. Uh, I believe that we have three. You found a third. Okay. I found a third. Okay. Uh, three magical beings that uh, belong in the Harry Potter universe, and I want to place them in their rightful spot in the Harry Potter universe. Okay. Uh, uh, kind of each representing their house, but so I need a fourth one for Hufflepuff. Oh. I'm changing my changing my answers a little bit. Interesting. Okay. So we have Mary Poppins. Yes. Uh, who I believe is a Gryffindor. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. She she's an interesting one because she can kind of fit. She can kind of fit all of them. Well, I mean, mm, I I mean, she, I would say she lacks the sort of um, ruthless ambition that you would need to be a Slytherin. Like she's terse, mm-hmm. but that makes her just kind of more like. Hermione or like McGonagall. Yeah, yeah, she's very McGonagall. Very I was, McGonagall-esque. I was going to say, um, Madame Pumphrey. I was comparing her to the most. Oh, uh, what house is she in though? I don't remember. I don't know if we've ever, we ever learned that. I think we do. No. So yeah, I mean, and she's very she's intelligent, but not necessarily in a bookish in your face kind of way. She just knows things, but she's not like telling it to you to your face. She, yeah, she's just cultured. Yeah, so yeah. she wouldn't quite fit into Ravenclaw, um, and she's not generic, so she wouldn't be a Hufflepuff. Exactly. <laughs> As you wear a Hufflepuff shirt. Uh, as I wear my Hufflepuff shirt with pride. <laughs> um, so, so Gryffindor is where she belongs. Do you notice, the, hang on real quick, do you notice that it's always the Hufflepuffs that have the most pride in their house, almost like they're having to defend themselves for being Hufflepuffs? Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, Slytherins have to defend themselves on not being evil. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. The Ravenclaws, as I am, don't give a shit. We're just like, yeah, I'm a Ravenclaw. I yeah. know it. You know it. Go back to your book. We don't want to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I took a break from reading to come here and hang out with you. Do you want to go cry because your boyfriend just died? <laughs> um, one, one, hang on. Hang on. I would not date a Hufflepuff. <laughs> Sorry, I'm referring to the only other Ravenclaw we hear about in the movies. Go Cho Chang. Yes. What about Luna? 
Luna's a Ravenclaw. Uh, she's Ravenclaw. Excuse yes. me. I'm sorry. But I'm Luna has so much personality. I'm not a Luna. Mm-hmm. No, she's too quirky and fun. Yes. Yeah. Very un-Ravenclaw. <laughs> Let's be honest. I should probably be a Slytherin. Uh, but anywho, so I, we have so we have we have Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins in the house. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. I agree with you though. I think she's one hundred percent a Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, I'm going to throw in this gambit is uh, Mr. Willy Wonka, mm-hmm. who, after much thinking, I believe that is a Slytherin. I agree, and I I've, I've been trying to craft this backstory for him. Now, he has now to, I think we're mostly going off the Gene Wilder version, right? Yes, okay, absolutely. Yes, less said about Johnny Depp's version, the better. Mm-hmm. Or book version, because I don't know the oh, book Have version. you ever actually read the book? No. Well, I just asked you if you read a Why book. Why do you... How, how... My apologies. I'll just, how, re, just always rephrase it to, have you listened to that one? <laughs> <laughs> have you listened to that book? I have not. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, we're going off of the Gene Wilder version, basically the only real version. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... And, and he has to, the way I've been trying to craft this backstory is he has to have some connection to the muggle world because that's why he's so, um, wait, okay. Do you think he was born a wizard or do you think he was born a muggle and went to Hogwarts? I, I think he, I think he was born a wizard, but I, I haven't been able to figure out if he was muggle born or if he's a squib. I, mm, okay. Cause we don't see him any do actual hands-on magic. Right. Um, there's sort of like just magic implied through the whole thing. He, he just kind of knows about it. Ah, but now, hang on. This is something interesting to, to take note. Mm-hmm. His magic usually comes in the form of technology or in the guise of technology. Yes. Um, I don't know if that has any impact on what house he would be in necessarily. Well, I mean, I think just because he's so mischievous. Yeah, he's kind of evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and, er, he... He definitely is a person who believes that the ends justify the means, as evidenced by his entire plan to, like, craft an heir. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. What a psycho. Maybe the heir of Slytherin, some might say. Oh, maybe. Uh, so so, I, so my, the, the story that I've been trying to craft is he's a squib, knows about magic, also okay. knows about potions. <laughs> okay. Um, but since he knows the magic world, he hires magic beings to do that for him like the oompa loompas like the freed house elves the oompa loompas i think he freed a bunch of house elves and employed them similar to to what hogwarts does interesting well no but well those are those are not free house elves don't they aren't they freed at the end uh no because even oh because he tries to free the the girl elf just Winky. Winky, thank yes. you. So uh, Winky but then she becomes is, a, a dramatic trunk. Winky in uh, in the Goblet of Fire is dismissed by Barty Crouch Sr. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as we come to learn, she accidentally lost track of Barty Crouch Jr. Yes. I think like befuddled her or whatever. But so she gets fired, and so Dobby, now freed, basically takes her to Hogwarts with him. And they are the two free house elves working in the kitchens, but even then they are judged by the other, mm-hmm. no other way to put it, enslaved house elves. Yes. Dobby just doesn't care. Right. But Winky is like horribly depressed and as you put it, like gets fucked up on butterbeer all the time. Yes. Um, oh, those adorable house elves. Yes. Those scamps. So, so I think that Wonka has employed house elves. Do the house um, elves then... Um, because how do they become then to look like Oompa Loompas? Do they, I think do it they was employ disguises? Either disguise or it was his first batch gone bad. Batch? Did he like, did he like... Well, his, his first candy that he made 
turn them all orange? Like he tested it on them? Yeah, he's not gonna test it on himself. Well, but I mean, what if they're magical creatures? They can they can recover. What, what if the Oompa Loompas are in fact like house elf like creatures that come from some magical place down in like Africa or South America? I, or, that's also fine. Yes, mm-hmm. I was trying to just connect it to the 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 story we already have. But okay, so let's say that he 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 did go to Hogwarts because mm-hmm. he's English, right? Sure. It's, it's really hard to tell in that in the '70s version mm-hmm. where the hell that is supposed to be set. I think it's supposed to be London. I guess we'll go with Does that. Does anyone have any English accents in that movie though? Doesn't Charlie? No. Does he? I don't think so. I don't know. The, that version of Charlie is such a whiny little shit. Um, that's like the there's one good thing about the Tim Burton movie. Okay, wait, sorry, retract that. Two good things. One is Christopher Lee's in it, and he's always good in everything, even if the movie's bad. I'm looking at you, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's one good thing. The second good thing is that uh, Freddie Highmore is a really, really good Charlie. Yes. Like, he actually conveys the sweetness and the sincerity and the, um, the gregariousness that Charlie is supposed to exhibit, whereas the one in the Gene Wilder version is really just a prick. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so he, let's, let's say it's set in London. He's English. He, so he's born a squib. Mm-hmm. He goes to Hogwarts. No, he wouldn't go to Hogwarts then. Philip went to Hogwarts. What? Squibs don't go to Hogwarts. Didn't Filch? Filch? He works at Hogwarts. He didn't actually ever go attend the school, though. Okay. No, what the fuck would a, a squib do at Hogwarts? Could squibs... So I, I had this thought earlier today. Couldn't squibs still do fine in potions? Because there's not a lot of magic that goes on there. It's yes. just chemistry. Yes. No, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's no actual, like, wand craft involved, as far as I know. Right. Or if there is, it's minimal. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So a squib could become really, really good at potions. Yes. So but maybe he's a self-taunt potions master. Because he, he could do... Um, yeah, he could do potions. Yeah. He could rock the toad choir. <laughs> Um, he could do care of magical creatures. Yeah. So I, I think he wouldn't attend the school though. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I legitimately don't think Hogwarts lets squibs attend classes because okay. what legitimately, what would you do? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you'd be horribly, horribly disadvantaged. I would love to see, I would love a modern story where a squib comes in and just uses modern technology <laughs> to just try and fake it as long as he can. <laughs> He's got like, the wand you can buy at Best Buy that turns off and on TVs. Mm-hmm. But then he also has to wheel a TV around because there are none inside the school. Yeah. Look how cool I am, guys. Um, I've got HBO. I'm trying to think how he would fake, like, transformation. He would he would record it because they don't have, like, uh, I mean, they have, like, the moving pictures. But I don't think they yeah. have video. No. So he records himself doing it. And like Isaiah brings in the TV, flips, flips, yeah. turns it on with his wand, He's and a- shows them with special effects. He's uh, an excellent editor. He is. That's his. That's his power. <laughs> okay, so, so we have two. Okay, so yeah. So Willy Wonka, Squib, he like becomes a potions apprentice, becomes really good at potions, mm-hmm. and discovers how to make like um, the most amazing candy in the world. Yes, and then builds a whole empire out of it, mm-hmm. and employs house elf like creatures in the form of Oompa Loompas. Okay. Yes. Who's your third? Uh, Miss Frizzle. Oh, from Magic School Bus, but she's yeah. not English. She's not, so she could have gone to Ilvermorny. Yes, yes. 
I don't know enough about them to know what house she would be Neither in. Neither do I. But yeah. if she did go to Hogwarts, she would, she, she she would, would be... When she went on a semester abroad yes. to Hogwarts. It, even in that semester, she became house girl of Ravenclaw. Oh, no. She's a total Hufflepuff. No way. Yes, she, she is. She uses her magic just to teach. Yeah. So does Professor Sprout. Yeah. Like, I feel like if there's any character in the entirety of the Harry Potter universe that reminds me of Ms. Frizzle, it's Professor Sprout. Okay, fine. She's, like, bubbly and energetic and always so positive because Hufflepuffs are so positive because they see the world through simple lenses. Damn right we are. <laughs> no, Frizzle's a total Hufflepuff. Okay. She's... Okay, fine. Because she's not, like, pretentious. Frizzle, like, that's the thing, is that I feel like if you're... But Ravenclaws are meant to seek greater knowledge. That is their goal. And that is what... But, I mean, so does Hermione. She seeks out greater knowledge all the time. Yes. And that's why they said, or J.K. Rowling said, that each one of them exhibits traits of the other houses. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that part of her that exhibits a Ravenclaw-like trait is her thirst for greater knowledge. But she is, like, personality-wise, at her core, a goddamn Hufflepuff. Mm. You agreed with me. Mm. Let, me let me live in my fantasy. No. <laughs> let me live in my Hufflepuff fantasy. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Um, so while I was, while I was crafting these, these stories, uh, I found out that people have also had these thoughts. No shit. And there was a great, uh, there was a great, uh, kind of Buzzfeed post about, uh, Willy Wonka being a wizard. Okay. Uh, and kind of how he's just the bane of, of the ministry's existence where they're like, you did all these horrible things to muggles. You used, (laughs) you know, you used magic in front of them. Uh, how do you please? Like, you know, not guilty. I didn't. I didn't break any rules. Mm-hmm. And like, what do you, you? You performed magic in front of in front of Muggles. And he's like, well, no, actually, the magic tickets, the golden tickets, I charmed so only second generation squibs could see them. Wait, what? Yes. So th- so all the tickets could only be seen by magic, by by kids that had magic in their blood. Um, but couldn't perform magic. Oh, my God. Where has this gone? Okay, wait. So now the implication there is that all five people who are chosen Mm -hmm. are from... Have some Wizard blood. Yes. But no, that's that's dumb. Just hear me out. No, that's so dumb. No, 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 no. They clearly come from the muggle world. Like, because you know how we know this? Because all of their fucking parents are there with them, and yes. they're all muggles as well. Mm-hmm. But they could also be squibs. But, so, like, mm-hmm. how far back are we going? Are we going to say that they have, like, a magical great-ass uncle or something like that? Yeah. And then, like, there was a tiny little bit of wizarding butt that made it all the way through? Yeah. That's dumb. All I need is one-eighth, Chris. That's so dumb. No. I reject uh, this notion. Okay, fine. So that, that was part one of the argument. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's, it's a three-part argument. Oh. So he he gets around that with with the they all have some trace of magic in their blood. That's the only way they could find the tickets. Uh, number two was um, uh, enchanting Muggle objects, and he's like, well, actually, the machines or uh, Muggle made objects. He's mm-hmm. like, well, technically, I built the machines, so the machines are wizard made. So I'm enchanting my own machines. Therefore, they're not muggle-made. Okay, sure. I'll buy that one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, and what, what was the third point? Um, fuck, I don't remember it. Mm, what a shame. I know. It was a great article. I'm sure it uh, was. I'll pass it along. <laughs> well, I'm glad we've now figured out where Willy Wonka would be. Yes, and Mary Poppins. And Mary Poppins. And Miss Frizzle. But Mary Poppins. I guess we should talk about that some more, shouldn't yes. we? 
Um, where was I going with all of this? Oh, right. <clears throat> so, yeah, the I think my kind of my big criticism is that this movie just doesn't have the same emotional resonance as the original. It's all just kind of like a pale imitation. Like, I think there are songs that feel, that resemble songs from the original. So, like, I would say that Can You Imagine That is kind of the same as Spoonful of Sugar. Like, mm-hmm. it's the introductory song to, to Mary and to the kids and it's teaching them magic, that sort of stuff. But, like, Spoonful of Sugar also has kind of deeper meaning behind it. Like, Can You Imagine That, I guess, is kind of about how some people just don't bother to use their imaginations. Mm-hmm. Um, but the... I think Spoonful of Sugar is much more about, oh, you can find joy in kind of menial tasks. It's all about like choosing to find happiness in something rather than just treating it as drudgery, which again, thematically ties into the dad who just like lives his day-to-day existence and doesn't like embrace the joy in all of it. Um, or then I would say that the uh, the combination of the, uh, what's, what's the bowl song? Um, oh, which one? Oh, the, the one they first oh, the, sing the in the the Royal book? Dalton Music Hall. Yes. Like, that Love in combination that was uh, a cover. It's not the book. I'd say that's sort of the equivalent of Jolly Holiday and uh, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yes. But, again, I guess Jolly Holiday is just kind of, like, fun for the sake of fun. And I've talked about Supercal. Um, but, like, yeah. So I, is Royal Dalton Music Hall. What? That was fun for the sake of fun. Right. But I'm saying it wasn't then followed up by something that actually had some emotional significance. Like, I would mm-hmm. say the only song in this whole movie that really has, like, some deeper thematic build is... Turning Turtle. Oh, God, the worst part of the whole thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but no, is that um, Nothing's Gone Forever, which is a really sweet song. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I guess that's the theme they're going for is, like, I, I don't know what... I mean, this is part of what confused me. What did you even think... The, like the real message and theme of this movie was because I I thought it was very muddled. I can't really tell you what I thought it was. It it, it kind of had two competing themes. Yeah, where it was it's, part of the it's yeah don't you know don't trust a book by its cover just because someone's I mean it's kind of it's kind of the just because someone's nice on the outside doesn't mean right. they're showing their true intentions. And, and I feel like that was just there to service this plot that they mm-hmm. thought they had to tack onto it. Like mm-hmm. I don't think that's really a theme of the movie so mm-hmm. much. Well, I think the the movie is really about the rise of imperialism. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Uh, you know, with uh, the the imperialists and with the imperialists and and their battle with the, the Senate, the sun, <laughs> the sun, the sun never setting in the British Empire, yes. that sort of thing. Exactly. Um, you get it. You yeah. Get it. How, why, why don't you Why don't you talk about what you think that is? <laughs> no, no. You you brought it up. It's all it's all you, bud. Uh, but no, okay. I, I, I brought up the concept. I, I want you to kind of flesh out the idea. Flesh it as the Ravenclaw. I'm supposed to, to sit yes. here and teach everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think. Yeah, the, the Don't Judge a book, book by its Cover was there just to kind of tip off the kids that Colin Firth wasn't who he said he was. Mm-hmm. But I mean, beyond that, though, what do you think the other kind of theme was going on here? Uh, I think it's just kind of family. I think it's just kind of like family first. Yeah. Is, is Which it, it just doesn't have the same sort of impact. Like, Because mm-hmm. it's kind of about dealing with loss. And I, I mean... But um, only sometimes. Well, yeah, that's kind of part of the problem. Like Michael talks, of, like he early on says that there's so much of his wife in the house. In the house, but and like, they just leave the house. Yeah, and I guess Sorry, it's like, the plot of the movie is uh, since we haven't brought that up yet for those no, who yeah. haven't seen it. Um, the movie opens with um, them getting a no a notice of repossession repossession on the yeah. house because uh, to pay off his wife's medical bills, he had to take a loan from the bank and forgot to pay it back. Yeah. 
Yeah. So 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 it's them trying to find the money to to uh not really the money. They find uh they remember that their dad has money in the bank. Well, yeah, he owns shares in yeah. the bank, which makes a, a difference in terms of the folklore foreclose on him. I guess that even that's a little bit ambiguous. But like, mm-hmm. okay, we define these things. Now, I thought um, they were setting up something early on because when excuse me, right after to get this news, and they're sending the kids out to go get the groceries. Uh, Grown up Michael, played by Ben Wishaw, aka Q, love him. Oh, he always looked like um. He looks like uh, Andrew Garfield in a mustache. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I can see mm-hmm. a little bit. I, that's all I saw the whole movie. Oh, okay. That would have been good. Uh, but yeah, so he sends the kids out to go to the groceries, and he's like, oh, we don't have any money. He's like, oh, here, let me like grab this like random piece of paper and draw like $10 on. I thought what was going to happen was like, that was, that the... was going to be the certificate of uh, purchase of the shares. And so then like at the end, they're going to have no money, and, oh, and then George they... was going to come back like, here, you can have my $10. Like, oh my God, it's where we thought it was That would have been long. much cuter. But like, it would have been obvious because that's what they're going with it but i thought it would have made more sense that instead again we're going to spoilers here what happens is like at one point georgie goes to patch up the old kite the kite from the original movie mm-hmm. fun inclusion but he goes to patch it up and so he just grabs some random old drawing from a box um and on that it's a, it's a doodle his dad did of all their family together which and, how dare he cut that up well it it's like, great I mean, he like it was a nice drawing but he like, still kept it all together more or less but like there were plenty of other pieces of paper yeah, well, in that box, Chris. But, like, the thing is, the, the, the greater flaw is not Georgie, like, tearing it up and using it to patch up the, the kite, because that's what a child would do. The greater problem is that at one point, Sorry. Michael thought it was a good idea to take the certificate of purchase of shares in the bank and draw on the back of it. Yes. And clearly, he did that as an adult, because that's not him as a child with his family. That's him as an adult with his wife and children. Mm-hmm. And he looked at that thing and didn't bother to flip it over and see what was going on on the other side of it. He just, no. like, tossed it into a box. Too busy singing about his dead wife. <clears throat> oh, God. And so it's just, like, it's so it just felt so convenient. Like, oh, my God, we found this thing at the end. Now we have to, like, race across the town and try and get to the bad guy before midnight. And just the plot was so generic. It just, that whole part of it really bothered me. I didn't want there to be an actual antagonist because I think when you do that, you oversimplify the meaning of the movie. And that's part of what makes the original one so good was that it's really about a father learning that he has to actually be a part of his kids' lives. Yes. It, it also, it on that point, it lessens the purpose of Mary Poppins. Yeah. She doesn't need to be there at all in this movie. No. She suffers from the Indiana Jones syndrome. Mm-hmm. Without her, the same things would happen. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and like that. That's but the then, whole... how would her cousin have figured out to oh. look at things from another perspective? Okay, can we talk about that, please? Let's talk, let's, let's talk about Meryl Streep. Okay, because obviously, I love Meryl Streep. Who doesn't? I mean, stupid people. Stupid people don't love Meryl Streep. Yes, because Meryl Streep is amazing, a treasure, a national treasure. <sighs> but that such is such a treasure that Nicolas Cage tried to steal her once. <laughs> <gasps> okay, wait a minute. National Treasure 3. <laughs> wait a minute. Can we please go pitch that movie? <laughs> She's the secret to finding some other hidden treasure. Mm-hmm. And we realized in the movie that she was she the treasure the all treasure, along. Yes. Oh my God. Or what if the treasure is just trying to find her like chest full of Oscars? <laughs> well, no, it, it's the plot of Men in Black 2 where they're trying to find like the... Oh yeah, the the star no the star yeah the yeah the, yeah, the star hidden the under. light or whatever mm-hmm. yeah and they realize it's Rosario Dawson all along exactly, but also knows her necklace. <laughs> okay, I really want to watch that movie, but yes, she she is a goddamn treasure. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
for both of us, the Meryl Streep sequence is the worst part of the film. Yes, it's, not it is, a, it's 15 minutes of unnecessary padding. It's, it's not a particularly good song. The meaning behind it is look at the world from a different perspective, which doesn't really come back into play at all in the movie. No. Um, which could have just been a verse in the cover's not the book. Yeah. Well, and I think that's maybe part of the problem with this movie is that it tried to build kind of set pieces where maybe they didn't have to be. Cause like this, that sequence sort of mirrors going to visit uncle, uh, uncle Waldo, not uncle Waldo. Um, wait, uncle, no, cause uncle Walt, wait, uncle Waldo's the Aristocats. Uncle Albert. Yes. Yes. Um, goes to visit uncle Albert and that's, that's like the tea party on the ceiling. And there is a song there, but it's not a particularly long song. It's not a set piece. It's a scene. And this was just all overdone, and it's not a, it's just, it's all just kind of pointless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, like you said, it's not a great song. I, it's definitely the least fun song. And here's a good question then Is Meryl Streep actually good in that scene? <sighs> like, with what she was given. I guess with what she was given, yeah. Yes. I, I feel like most of this movie is Rob Marshall on really good form. So Rob Marshall also directed Chicago. Okay. Which is actually one of my all-time favorite movies. Yes. It's my favorite musical. I have seen that one. It's a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. I absolutely 100% love it. One of my favorites. Um, I feel like pretty much everything else he's done has not been very good. I've never seen Into the Woods. I have seen... I started it, and it, it just kind of started off on a bad foot for me. Yeah. I never saw um, Nine, which is his remake of Fellini's Eight and a Half. The trailer looked fucking amazing. Is that the, the one with the dolls? No. There was two movies called Nine that no, came no, out. No, no, Nine. The, the other one was directed by um, um, Timur Bekmentov, I want to say is his name. I can't remember what else he did. Memoirs that of Ganesha. Oh, sorry. This, sorry, I, I jumped back to yeah. the other guy. Okay. Oh, oh, Rob Marshall did Memoirs of Ganesha? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, mm -hmm. that's interesting. Um, but, I mean, oh, and he's uh, potentially doing the Little Mermaid live action. Oh, interesting. Oh, and he did uh, the worst of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The fourth one. Yeah, it's, it's probably, ooh, I don't know, the fifth one's pretty bad. Did you see the fourth one? Yeah, I did. I think the fourth one is absolutely the worst. Well, we I mean, there's a good reason why it's one of the worst, because it does have good old charisma vacuum Brenton Thwaites in it. Yes. Um, I forgot that was him. I Holy know, shit. right? It's because he's very, very forgettable. Yes. Uh, no, but most of this movie, I think he's on good form. I think that section there with Meryl Streep, though, is him on bad form. It just doesn't quite work. Um, what did you think about the, um, uh, the lamplighter song? Um, blah, blah, um, it was gorgeous choreography. Uh, Triple Little Light Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be, I think Disney is probably going to push for that to be the, like, in park <clears throat> song. Like, I expect that would make the most in the sense. next yeah. year that they're going to tack that into, one of the light, one of the night shows. It does have some really nice choreography in it's there. It's gorgeous choreo. I don't understand 1930s BMX tricks. I was just gonna say, why is there BMX? <laughs> I love happening? it. That was even in the trailer. I'm like, why is there BMX here? I love it. Like, it feels a little out of place and a little off tone. Just slightly anachronistic, considering that that didn't even legitimately come into the world until what the late 1990s, early Probably. 2000s. Like that's the point where you could get like little bars on the sides. You could grind your D mm -hmm. your bike. I don't know. That part doesn't really quite work. What I for me. what I wanted it I don't know how how into the weird internet world you are. I'm sure nowhere near as far as you. That's, that's true. Yeah. Um but people people have like ladder dances. Really? Yeah. Where it's do. kind of like you keep you you keep the ladder folded, 
Mm-hmm. So you have you can kind of move it around while you climb up, but it's yeah. kind of like you climbing up and down, and it's staying stationary. Oh, that's clever. It's kind of the skill around that, and people like climb up and jump through the rungs yeah. while it's still standing. Um, and I wanted like I wanted that kind of choreography. I I loved what we had, but that would have been so cool. That would have been it. Would have been fun to see it go a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Again, I like that sequence. I think um, they, they just chose the wrong prop to play with. I think. They, I mean, I guess it makes sense. They're all lamplighters. Like, I like that sequence, but for me, it's no step in time. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I love the original, but like the whole sequence of step in time is. I mean, you talk about incredible choreography. That was all done. In the 1960s, mm-hmm. I think, and it actually is even bigger and crazier than we get in this movie. And like, I even, think even the stage in that original one was a lot bigger. Like, that was a really, really big stage they built for that. Well, I, I think you, I'm going to argue the opposite point. How dare you? Because it's the 1960s. You yes, because it's the 1960s, they had, uh, I don't want to say more skilled, but um, more specifically trained people for that because that that's still it's kind of the end of the of the big gene kelly music era yeah where it, everyone it is reminiscent of that yeah yes where everyone you know choreographers write for that like we don't have yeah. choreographers that i mean there there are a handful of choreographers specifically for that kind of dance yeah but back then like that was like you know that was pretty much kind of the only dance you would choreograph was, right. was big kind of Scenes like that. Well, I think we're in agreement then. Well, no, you, you were arguing the opposite. No, I was saying that step in time is better. Oh, no, I agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought you were saying even though it's so old, it's still better. Oh, okay. That, so that was like, kind yeah. of how no, you No, I think, I think actually that's a, good, that's a good point. Yeah, like, I guess my thing is like, oh, we should be like more skilled now. But I think you're right. Mm-hmm. It's like, because you go back, and I think that's part of it comes down to also just the way movies were done. Mm-hmm. Like back then, everything was done just wider, longer takes. Mm-hmm. I think now we have editing to kind of do something different. Like, again, as much as I love Chicago, and I think that um, the cell block tango is the best sequence oh, in the entire... Man. It's fucking amazing. But a lot of that comes down to the camera work and the, the editing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very fast-paced. It's frenetic. And so as much as it's beautifully choreographed, and there are those moments that go really wide on it, a lot of what makes that thing happen is the editing. Whereas back then, it wasn't so much the editing. It was actually like, we're just going to let the camera roll and really capture all of this. You, mm-hmm. you think about, yeah, like... Gene Kelly, you're talking like Sound of Music and that sort of stuff, um, Singing in the Rain. Well, I'm, I'm going to bring it up one more time on the podcast. Cats Don't Dance. Cats Don't Dance. Is choreographed by Gene Kelly. Is it really? It is. It's the last film he ever worked on. Oh, my God. And so if you want to like see the ma- like the master at his, not you know, not at his peak, but like using his entire life experience and putting it into, you know, choreography one yeah. last time like watch the scenes in cats don't dance i'll, I'll go watch because it's because it's it's still that kind of like quirky you know still camera dancing yeah but they can break the rules of, of gravity they can break That's all true. the yeah. you know they, they can be in these crazy positions where like there's a there's a moment i don't remember which song it is but the the main cat is like his he, he's dancing with a cane mm-hmm. and he puts the cane in the ground and then starts dancing on the wall next to it. So it, you know, you kind of, it, it is still not really possible, but you, you kind of see how it's half grounded where he's putting his weight in the cane, but then he just kind of continues dancing around. The cane stays stationary, yeah. but he kind of just like moves around it in, I, in a very, really pretty kind of way. I feel like that's actually taken from a real movie. 
I mean, I don't know this on the top of my head, but I feel like I was watching a... So if I'm happy to get a bad day, I'll go watch uh, YouTube montages of old dance numbers from movies. Those are great. It really, it mm-hmm. legitimately really fucking helps. And I seem to recall that being a thing I saw recently where someone was like started dancing on a wall. And I think they kind of did the Inception style rotating stage. Mm-hmm. Like, I, don't, I don't think they necessarily did this specific thing with a cane on the ground and using that. But um, that, does, that sounds reminiscent of Singing in the Rain, even though I've only seen it once. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I think just like the, the choreography is something like Step in Time in the original was just so good. And I, again, I liked, um, what is it? I can't even, see, I can't remember the name of the damn song. Uh, Triple Little White Fantastic. Triple Little White Fantastic. And I, and I, I hate to say this. I think part of the problem with this movie. Don't you dare say Lin-Manuel Miranda. Is Lin-Manuel Miranda. God, fuck you. Cause. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he is obviously incredibly talented and from mm-hmm. a musical perspective, one of the most talented people on the planet right yes. now. I don't think that his style necessarily works with Mary Poppins, though. I think that's why a cover is not the book is so good, because that last half of the song is his style. And that's the part I like the least. Really? But that's when he does the great uh, Jekyll and Hyde joke. Yeah, but... Part I of my, was the only one in the theater that laughed at that. But my problem was, <laughs> as we watched the movie, I couldn't tell what the fuck they were saying. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just we were in a weird spot in the theater, the audio was funky, too, but, like... I think the way the songs are structured, I think they're a little bit faster paced at they're times. They're definitely faster. And I've now, I basically listened to the, the soundtrack on repeat this morning, like when I was at the gym, to try and like prepare for this podcast so I remembered all of it better. And now after listening to all the songs maybe three or four times total, I know some parts of it, but it's not like the original where the lyrics are very clear. And like I think the, the lyrics are clear, the message is clear, and in this, both are very muddled. And I think part of that is them trying to do something Lin-Manuel Miranda-styled. And also, it, I have to say it, he's on screen not that charming or charismatic. I think he is. I love that man. Not when put up against Dick Van Dyke. Well, no one is that charismatic. But like, that is an impossible... But I think... It, we had a 94-year-old Dick Van Dyke in this movie who still did a dance number. I know, and I think that's part of the problem is, like, he shows you up... You can't beat that smile. But, like, he shows up, and in, what, five minutes, he is, like, the brightest part of the whole movie. He's got the most charisma. And I think that's... It just goes to show how this whole movie is just a little bit flat. I think kind of all of the respective equivalents, and I love Emily Blunt, and I think she's the best possible choice for modern Mary Poppins, but I think everyone who's like doing their version of the original character or the proxy is just not as charismatic. And I think the biggest gap there is between Dick Van Dyke and Lin-Manuel. Who would you have rather seen that in that role? I I don't know. That's the problem. I don't know who you put in there. Michael Shannon. Michael Michael Shannon is very charismatic. Um, I would love to see a Michael Shannon. I mean, I don't know who... this is a little obvious and I don't know if it necessarily would have worked. I think Neil Patrick Harris just off the top of my head Mm -hmm. would have been a better fit. Um, I mean, I I think Chang Tatum's a little bit wrong for the tone, but like, (laughs) but like reimagining the, how he would have choreographed all the dance scenes. Right. Yeah. It's just like, there's so many, all the lampers not wearing clothes. So many stripper poles. But like, well, they already have the the. Um, that's true. The mm-hmm. the staff. Yeah. So they could just swing around it. But like, I think he has a, a really charming, charismatic presence on screen. Maybe something like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, even. Um, oh yeah. Right? What's he been up to? I don't know. I, I feel really, like I haven't seen I him. In a while. I haven't seen him in a while either. But I, I know at one point he was rumored JGL, for where you um, 
I think Spielberg was working on a remake of Guys and Dolls, and he was rumored to be involved with that. It was actually gonna be him and Channing Tatum. I don't know what happened with that. Um, but I, you know, I mean, he he's musically talented, and I think he's got some chops there. I just feel like Lin Manuel was the obvious choice, and I think his inclusion hampered it in some ways. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure he also had involvement in a lot of the other songs, in terms of like giving a bit of a bump. Maybe. Well, no, I thought helped, I heard in an interview that he didn't like it, he didn't do any of the writing for this. Okay, like he he just kind of. Was I, I think he made a joke of like it's so different when you're handed a song. Oh, okay. Um, and I think he's still good. Like I think in Triple Little Light Fantastic, that when he's dancing on screen, he's dancing, he's doing it, he's working it. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't have the same feel. Yeah. Well, I know, and it, I, I think it's also I, I think I've also heard in an interview that he's not a trained dancer. And I so could, I kind of had that kind of see that I, I had that in my head the whole time. And so I was just kind of more impressed when he was dancing. And yeah. I'm like, Hey, good for you. And Manuel. right. Like, I feel like that even applies to Emily Blunt a little bit. She doesn't really dance a lot in this movie. Oh my. So have you seen the, them on James Corden yet? I watched like half of it and I got bored. Okay. Um, uh, it's so funny to see Lynn Manuel who's been, you know, on Broadway for years now do a live performance next to Emily Blunt, who the last time she was on a theater stage was 2001. Oh, my God. Uh, and you can just see the comfort level of he's standing out right up there with James Corden, screaming, smiling, having a blast. And Emily Blunt is, like, so focused on the moves. And I, I can't get this wrong. I can't do this wrong. Yeah. Like, there's one moment where uh, where they're, they're doing a, a, one of the songs from Mary Poppins Returns, mm-hmm. and her umbrella doesn't close. And she just stops talking. Oh, no. uh, and I, Cor- I, James Corden has to come and take it from her hand and I start just making up random dances for her. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh, she's so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's just maybe not quite her strong suit. Like, she mm-hmm. does a little bit of um, kind of Irish jig tap dance sort of stuff in Triple Adelaide. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's just not... She's, I'm sorry, she's not Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. But who is? Exactly. Like you, the, the actors and actors that they had in the original are legends of their craft. Yeah, and I forget, I gotta look up the, the name of the actor who played the the dad in the original, but he's also so, so good. Mm-hmm. And again, I love, I love Ben Wishaw, but I felt like he just didn't have, like, it was hard to tell what his arc was supposed to be. It's like, is he supposed to learn how to, like, re-engage with his kids? Is he, I don't know, it just, it was muddled. Yeah, I, I think it was, for him, it was just like, how do you get out of a funk? I guess, yeah, which it's not the same thing as, like, how do you actually treat your children like human beings Mm -hmm. and, like, not just, like, props. Yeah. Which is just a much better, like, uh, oh, David Tomlinson. Yes. He's so fantastic. Also, let's acknowledge, they basically just ignored the mom from the original movie. Mm -hmm. Like, so, because there are are callbacks to characters. Like, they took a lot about George Banks in this movie. Mm -hmm. They basically at no point ever mentioned the mom. Well, I think that's, I, I, we, we had a brief discussion about the books before. Yeah. Uh, before we, we recorded this. Because there are eight books, for people who don't know, mm-hmm. Mary Poppins based off a book series by J.L. Travers. P.L. Travers. P.L. Travers. Mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon Travers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for the people who know her story, it's all about the dad. Uh uh, Mr. Banks is supposed to be the idealization of her real father. Right, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what the whole movie Saving Mr. Banks um, is about. Yes, Colin... Colin Farrell. Thank you. Oh, Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. Mm. Her dad, Colin Farrell. Yes. Time-traveling extraordinaire. Yes. Um, 
And so I think it's just like they they wanted to focus on kind of who the writer might have wanted to focus on, or they could that could have kind of played a little more in the book. We don't know. Yeah. We haven't read it. But them. I mean, because the mom is not a hugely central part of the original. Even her arc is kind of tangential to the dad. So it's mm-hmm. like she also needs to kind of like focus on the children again. Um, but I, I like at one point again because the dialogue was even just hard to hear. At one point, someone mentioned something about someone having a flat in London, and I thought they were talking about the mom. I guess they're talking about Jane, the sister. Yeah, they're talking about the sister. But so then. I kept ex- like I thought that was the mom, so I was kind of expecting the mom to make an appearance somewhere, and I actually thought Angela Lansbury was going to play the mom, but she just played some random balloon lady. Yeah, that one was weird. And like, I think that was part of my problem too. Is I get that it, some of these things are hard to like keep a secret, but I was kind of waiting since they revealed in the trailers and all the promotional stuff both Angela Lansbury and Dick Van Dyke are like the two big cameos. Mm-hmm. I was expecting something to have been held back. So I was expecting some sort of Julie Andrews cameo or the, the mom to be there. I was waiting for something in the last little bit to be like this final big surprise. And there wasn't one. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I guess that comes more down to the marketing of it. But I was really disappointed that they revealed both of those things in the trailers. How much more exciting would it have been if Dick Van Dyke walked and you weren't expecting it? At least you didn't know. I was honestly expecting him to be when they started up the, um, the Triple Light Fantastic Oh, okay. I was because ex- because they kind of had it laid out where they already had a central figure where we assume Lin Manuel was supposed to be, mm-hmm. but he was still with the family, and the lights are still off. I'm like, no fucking shit, Dick Van Dyke. This is gonna be Dick Van Dyke. Nope. And they turn it on. I'm like, oh well, it's still a great number, but Dick Van Dyke's not here. Yeah. I don't know. I just yeah. I wanted. I, I wanted... wasn't expecting it at the end. Like I I obviously knew he was gonna be in it. Yeah. But I'm like, they're kind of at the pinnacle of you know they're at the pinnacle of emotion of like. What are we going to do? And then it's like, Dick Van Dyke's here. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. I forgot. You're here. And, and he, he shows up to bring all the charm and also just wrap everything up very, very conveniently in a nice little bow. Yeah. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't really a resolve. It was like, oh, that problem? That's not a problem anymore. Yeah, don't worry. Because I don't know if you know this, but like we like stashed away some tuppence years ago. And there's a small fortune you didn't know about. So here you go. Yeah. And again, that for me, that undercuts the whole movie. Like, yes, it's supposed to be fantastic and crazy and over the top and and bombastic to steal a line from one of the songs but it's supposed to be grounded in real emotion and like Mm -hmm. real life challenges and i think if you're going to go that big you have to keep that sort of counterbalance and here it was like oh we just don't have the money but oh my god we did and it's like really like really that's the message of the movie is don't worry you might actually have some money stashed away in a bank that's my goal yeah, it just it all just wrapped up way too conveniently. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Yeah. How would you have felt if they uh, did lose the house, but he got his family in return? It would have been just as stupid. <laughs> and that's the thing. You know they're going to get the house back. Mm-hmm. And I think that it just didn't have the stakes. Didn't have the emotional stakes. Didn't have like the dramatic stakes. Yeah. Not like the original. Like, and, and the the big final set piece felt odd. Oh, yeah. There was no um, focus on Big Ben. Nowhere to go, but oh no, you're talking about when they go oh, up to yeah. Oh, sorry, when they, the, when they the, scale the side of Big Ben to like set back the clock. Mm-hmm. The only payoff on that though was when now Big Ben is finally timed with yes. the Admiral. And for those of you who accuse us of going on really crazy tangents that have nothing to do with Batman, I'm going to bring it back in. Let's do it. So the Admiral is played by David Warner, who some people know as the lead scientist from. 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Ooh. He is also, also the voice of Ra's al Ghul in Batman the Animated Series. Oh. Boom, fuckers. All right. Still ties in. Still relevant to the podcast. Uh, he is also an Australian cricket player. I'm assuming a different man also happened to be yes. named. It's <laughs> kind of like all the Tom Hollands there are in the world. Mm-hmm. Did you know about this? What? There's like many, many different versions of Tom Holland. There's Tom Holland, the actor. There's Tom Holland, the director. There's also a historian, I want to say, named Tom Holland. Okay. Yeah, there's like a whole bit thing out there about all the different Tom Hollands. Perfect. Um, it's kind of like there's two Brian Coxes, like Brian Cox, the actor, and Brian Cox, the astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. None of these things matter. Yes, they do. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's like the only real payoff that the Big Ben sequence, because otherwise even that was just kind of like... I know there was like they needed they needed a um what's the Chet Chet Chetsy's gun Chekhov's gun that they needed that where like they need to show because they they Chachi's gun (laughs) yes uh you know just some Chachkis yeah um Chachi's Chachis yes uh Chekhov's Chachkis ooh I can't even say that I know it's it's Um, challenging. Because we kind of got it where he's like, that damn clock's always five minutes fast. Yeah. But we don't really see the clock until the end of the movie. No. It doesn't really play a, a role in mm-hmm. anywhere. I think they could have added like a single line from Colin Firth where he's like so in tune with the time. Mm-hmm. Um, where like while he's talking, you see him pause and it's kind of like, because you, you see the clock from his window. Yeah. Uh, and like he's so in tune, like mid-sentence, he kind of pauses and like, chimes and he, yeah like and he looks at his watch like you like, know, it's like you know. every day i double check to make sure that i'm in in tune with yeah with big ben or yeah or you're just kind of like you know looking at you goes hmm perfect again yeah and then continuing a sentence like this just kind of that single line could have added you know like oh okay so they're going to do something with the clock it, it, it would have added some personality but still if s- no could turn <laughs> back time okay <laughs> that really fucked me up in the movie because they said like, "Oh, how are we gonna turn back time?" And I was like, "Where's Cher? <laughs> Someone get Cher." She moves from the Mamma Mia set to the Mary Poppins set. <laughs> just, same outfit. Same outfit. A helicopter just lands, <laughs> the middle of Cherry Tree Lane. She's like, "Here I am." Yeah. Yeah, Mary Poppins is like. I don't think I have the ability to turn back time, <laughs> but I know someone who but I know, does. But my cousin. And then Meryl Streep gets to see her mom again. Yeah, it all ties it together. All, it's all just one big, it's all simultaneous to Mamma Mia. Yeah, it's my cousin, Sherry Poppins. Yes, amazing. Love it. You nailed Perfect. it. Perfect. Writes itself. Uh, yeah, I just, what a, it, yeah, that, that really, that really threw me off. But yeah, I, I just didn't think Colin Firth had any real motivation. He's like, oh, it's like. He didn't. No, it's like, that oh. That kind of. Yeah, it's like because it's so it's you know set in the early 1930s. So we're talking pre World War II, but you know obviously still in the aftermath of um, the the Great Depression and the financial crisis. So you know times are tough for everyone. He's realizing like oh like with all these foreclosures, like the bank is just like rolling in money, and that's his whole motivation. And it's like at times they try to imply that he has like a bit of a heart, but it's just like it didn't. I don't know. I, I felt like there didn't need to be. An antagonistic force there, mm-hmm. like I, I, it just like yeah. Why couldn't he have just helped? But I, I guess because they they had to add some sort of stakes there in the end, and so for them they had to do dramatic because it's just the emotional ones are there. Like again, one of the best things about the original is that the big set piece, like the big final kind of accumulation set piece, is step in time because like they go back to the house and they revisit a lot of the other key numbers, like mm-hmm. votes for women and everything else like that. 
Um, but then like the real climax is all just about the dad literally just like walking across London by himself to go face the consequences at the bank and knowing he's going to get fired and it's in the room mm-hmm. when it, you know, finally falls into place. Um, and that's it. The whole thing hangs on the, the emotion of the character and that's what makes it still feel climactic even if it's not visually climactic. And it, they just didn't have that yeah. here. It's like, the old one has a very odd structure that I think actually works really well. And this one applied a structure that I thought didn't. Okay. Yeah. I have so many things to say about this, Cam. You do. We, we've been talking for over an hour about it. <laughs> yeah, but at least half hour of that was Harry Potter discussion. Uh, 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't know. I very like, necessary Harry Potter discussion. I, God I, damn it. I, I feel like I've basically uh, beat the shit out of this thing at this point. That being said, I still really liked it. It's still a really fun movie. It's still very fun. Like I, I think I'm gonna try and take my mom to go see it over Christmas. Cause mm-hmm. I'm sure she would love to see it. Um, and I want to see it again. I want to like actually see if I can really um, get a better yeah. sense of yeah, it. Sit on the other side of the theater this time. Yeah. <laughs> see if the audio balances out. Balance out. I'll try to get more of a central seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm gonna keep listening to the the movie. But like I, I mean, so I've I've said my piece over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like, what are your kind of final? Closing thoughts on. I mean, I still, I still love it. I honestly can't get past the two D animation section. It's great. It's, 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 like, like you said, it has. It's been nine years since we've seen a two D Disney, yeah, thing. Also, were the the henchmen references to something? Because one was a weasel and one was a badger. Is that? I feel like we've seen a pair, like a weasel badger pair before. Is that like Wind in the Willows or Mr. Toad? Or it felt like it felt like a reference something, but I can't place it. I don't. It, it could have been, and I and it's just not coming to me. Okay. Um, I think it's just kind of three creatures that are always seem to be scheming. Are badgers scheming? I think so. Hmm. Oh, I guess they're also. Oh, I guess they're also supposed to be representative of the henchmen. Um, Colin Firth's henchman, his his lawyers. Yes, yes, he's yes. But I felt yeah, because like, one of them is kind of like, why are we doing this? But I felt like the one who said that was the badger who has glasses, who looks more like the less sympathetic. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The less sympathetic lawyer. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. I don't know. You no, I know. I I enjoy I enjoy hearing your side of it because because yeah, after after the movie got out, in typical fashion. I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my You're life. Jubilant. Yes, because I'm a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had clear logical thoughts. And I was just like, pretty colors and songs and people tapping shoes. Uh, I have an umbrella that holds popcorn. It's fantastic <laughs> popcorn umbrella. I mean, I, I think what it comes down to between the two of us is I think what every movie ultimately comes down to is does it click? Like, does it do you buy into it? Mm-hmm. And if I if I had clicked into it. I would not care about all these minute things. But because I don't, mm-hmm. I'm looking for reasons to, to compare explain. It. I'm looking for reasons yes. to explain why it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want, wish it had. Mm-hmm. So No, I saw it fun. I'm glad you did. And I, 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 I recommend this one. No, I uh, yeah, still Go do. see Spider-Man first. Yes. But, but then go see Mary Poppins. Worth clarifying, mm-hmm. definitely go see Spider-Man. Yeah, because my mom asked, like, oh, is this something we can bring, uh, you know, uh, Lyle and Vaughn to? And I'm like, hmm. Which, Mary Poppins? Yeah. How old are they? Uh, oof, that's a great question. I'm going to guess, like... What a terrible... Uncle. Uncle. Yeah. You are. Uh, I think, like, eight and three or eight and four? The three or seven and four? Three would be tough. Mm-hmm. She has the person... Maybe she's five now? Is she in kindergarten yet? I haven't seen them in a year. They were whatever they are now, but a... A, a year later. Yeah. 
whatever they were then, but a year later, yeah. Yeah, I, I think for kids especially, I think Spider-Man is going to keep them more engaged. Because mm-hmm. that movie's so fucking good. It is really good. God damn, why don't we talk about like, that on a podcast? <laughs> I know, we need to do that one. But anyways, no, I, yeah, Spider-Verse is dark, but it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Go see that first. Yes. If you still have time... Go see Mary Poppins Returns. Maybe Bumblebee, because that's actually reviewing better than Mary Ooh, Poppins is right now. Yeah, yeah, I know. I do want to see that. But whatever whatever you do, just save Aquaman for last. Yeah. <laughs> that's for us later tonight. Yes. How not excited are you? I am so un- unemotional about it. <laughs> I, I've never felt a greater obligation to see something mm-hmm. than seeing Aquaman. No, Venom. Oh, God. That was pure... That was pure obligation for a podcast we never did. Well, I, we didn't have to see that movie. I did have to see it because of Jeb, our oh, friend, our yeah, friend Jeb, right. and Venom is his favorite character, and he he made us as a, a cumulative group. Um, yeah, it's like, go. We all went to go see Venom, and it was basically just like a whole bunch of like grungy teenagers and just like one row of gay men. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> just this one, this little streak of fabulousness. Amongst all of it. But uh, yeah, I had to see that. It was fucking terrible. I'm sure Aquaman will be better than Venom. That's not hard to do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we, we're going to leave it there. I think we're good. Yes. And um, also, this episode is dropping on Christmas. Ha- Merry Christmas, everybody. Because, uh, yeah, Tuesday's Christmas, right? Uh, yes. 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 It's dropping on Christmas. So uh, for those of you that celebrate, Merry Christmas. And just for everyone in general, happy holidays. Yes. Uh, I hope you are having great times with your family or friends or some well-deserved alone time. Yes. Oh, much needed alone that, that time. Kind of, that covers everyone, right? What? That covers everyone, Yeah, I right? think so. I think okay, we've hit okay. all the bases at this point. Mm-hmm. So, But anyways, uh, thanks for going on this weird journey with us once again. Yes. If you have any magical, any magical <laughs> oh, characters right. we you have think outro- deserve, <laughs> to be in, uh, deserve to be in Hogwarts houses, uh, who are they and where should they be and what backstory have you crafted for them in their time at Hogwarts? Yes, and you can write to us at TimTalkPod on uh, Twitter, fa- fuck. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram or Gmail. Gmail. Why am I so thrown? <laughs> I'm like, it's not a normal episode. I don't because have to do these Christmas, things. Because it's Christmas, Chris. It's Christmas. <laughs> if you want to find me, I'm at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Yes, you are. If you want to find me, if you want to see my art... Uh, which I will be updating soon. Mm-hmm. You can find that at Cameron.Dexter on Instagram. If you want to see my face and my Disney adventures and sometimes not Disney adventures, you can find that at cam dot cam, cam Dexter underscore adventures. We got this. Also on Instagram. Yeah, you can go there. You can see Cameron with his adorable uh, umbrella my, popcorn bucket. My tiny, tiny umbrella, which so, I love so much. So fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thanks for listening, everyone. See you guys next week. <laughs> Bye.